and welcome again to Carmelite Conversations. I'm your host, Mark Danis. Each week in this program, we discuss topics related to how we seek to combine a deep life of prayer and apostolic work with our busy modern lives. We do this by relying on the model presented by the secular order of discalced Carmelites. The secular Carmelites are a worldwide community of lay people who seek to live out the dual charism of contemplative prayer and apostolic work that has always been a centerpiece of Carmelite spirituality. I'm pleased to bring it back again this week my co-host, Francis Harry. Good evening, Francis. Good evening, Mark. It's so great to be back here with you and have more Carmelite conversations. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, this evening we also have as a special guest Deacon Baldwin of the Diocese of Cincinnati. Deacon Baldwin is both an ordained deacon and a member of the Dayton community of secular discalced Carmelites. Deacon will have a great deal to share with us uh, this evening as he is also a husband, a father, a father of eight children, no less, and a successful professor of engineering at the United States Air Force Premier Engineering School at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base here in Dayton, Ohio. I know Deacon's going to give us a considerable amount of insight on how to balance what is obviously a very demanding number of responsibilities. Uh, Deacon Baldwin, we, we should probably begin by just asking you, how do you keep all these balls in the air and at the same time pursue a deep contemplative prayer life? Well, thank you, Mark. I uh, really appreciate being able to be here, and uh, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, part of what uh, I think allows me to do that is God's grace uh, manifested in a couple of different ways. One is just his grace working through me, but also I have a partner in this uh, partner in this endeavor, which is my uh, wonderful wife Heather. And uh, had it not been for her, you know, wonderful patience and support in uh, in my vocation, both as a deacon and as a Carmelite, uh, I don't think I uh, could have pulled it off. So it's uh, continuing grace in our lives. Well, that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought it up because I remember uh, two years ago when I made my first commitment to the Carmelite community. Uh, Frances can walk us through the details of that, but she was in the room, and one of the questions I was asked specifically was whether my spouse was on board. Did my spouse support what it was that I was committing to as a secular Carmelite? I think that's important. I think we recognize the uh, critical uh, uh, contribution that spouses have to make, whether it's the husband or the wife, uh, to the commitment that we make as secular Carmelites. It's not an insignificant commitment. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this evening, both with you and Francis, so that we get an understanding of exactly what the commitment looks like. And it's not unlike the, the commitment that any one of a, a number of members might make when they make a, a commitment to a secular community. The Franciscans, the Benedictines, the, the Dominicans all have their secular arms, and they all have very serious commitments that they ask the participants of those communities to make. So we'll talk about that a little bit. I want to begin this evening, though, as we did last week, uh, first with a psalm, uh, I'm sorry, with a prayer. Deacon Baldwin has agreed to lead us in prayer this evening. Uh, and then I want to begin with a psalm, which is very special and very important to the Carmelite community. But let's begin first, Deacon, if you would lead us in prayer, please. I'd be happy to. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, we just thank you for tonight, and thank you for uh, us coming together to consider the rule of life of the secular order of the Carmelites. Uh, Lord, it's so important to have discipline in our lives so that we can order our devotion to you. Lord, bless this evening. May it be instructive for all, and may we feel your grace as we discuss this wonderful journey of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Deacon Baldwin. We appreciate that very much. Uh, as I said, I would like us also to take a moment to reflect on a psalm, a psalm that I think is both important for us this evening and always important for the Carmelite community, and we'll talk about the importance of that in just a moment. But, Francis, can I ask you to read for us, please, Psalm 1, actually just the uh, first three verses of Psalm 1. Yep, here we go. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Thank you, Francis. I appreciate that. For the Carmelites, and I know there are many of you in the listening audience, you're going to recognize immediately uh, the connection to um, this evening's topic of discussion, which is the rule, uh, the Carmelite rule. We'll talk a little bit about the history, just briefly the history of the rule and where it comes from. But St. Albert of Jerusalem, who drafted the rule for uh, the order, for the monks who were actually on Mount Carmel at the time in about 1209, drew specifically from this psalm, uh, this verse, meditates day and night on the law of the Lord. And that may be a challenge for many of us today. We wonder, in fact, we hear uh, about the great saints who perhaps could spend um, four, five, six hours a day in prayer. Or you might read specifically about uh, saints uh, who spent, it, it, it is said in their histories, entire nights in prayer. And it begs the question, I think, for many of us, how could you spend an entire night or even three or four hours at a time in prayer? Uh, This is some of what we're going to touch on this evening, this this idea of deep prayer. And, Francis, I know you've got a lot to share with us on this. Uh, Give us some sense, Francis, of where we take uh, this idea of deep prayer and how we can begin to think about uh, spending more time with the Lord in prayer. Well, we can do that by considering this rule of life. But, Mark... We we know the lingo, but maybe our listeners don't. So what is this rule of life, this um, spiritual plan of action? I have one definition for you that people out there might relate to. This is a blueprint to help one organize their day for maximum spiritual profit. Now, how many of us have really done that? Maybe one of our listeners would like to call in and share what their rule of life is. And I also have a quiz for you, a pop question. Um, I'd like the listeners to call in and tell us, what was the first rule of life? All the Christians should be able to answer this, the first rule of life. Okay, so we have our first pop quiz, Francis. We thank you for that. (laughs) The teacher in me. Uh, Yes. (laughs) If, If any of our listeners know, what was the first rule of life? Can I give a hint? So we don't uh, we don't uh, challenge sure. too much. All right, we'll give you this hint. Uh, it's found in the Old Testament. Well, that's a big hint. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do want to encourage them to call in. If you do want to call in, if you have either an answer to Francis's question or a question of your own, uh, feel free to call us at one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. Well, Francis, you've already begun the discussion about a spiritual plan for life. Uh, I do want to focus on that discussion. Uh, I do want to ask you, though, first, because I know I got some feedback, and I I heard you got some feedback as well uh, in the email from last week, and we do want to be very responsive to our listeners. I shared with you listeners last week uh, that this is certainly new ground for Francis and I, though we've done a good deal of uh, presenting and teaching on Carmelite spirituality. The radio form is a bit new for us. Uh, and we want to make sure that we remain very responsive to the expectations and the interests of our listeners. We want to share with you, as I've said at the beginning, how do you apply the principles of this aromatic, and by that I mean hermetic, desert spirituality, one, to modern life, and two, what eventually became a monastic spirituality, so enclosed uh, religious, how do the principles, the charisms of that spirituality apply to our busy modern lives. I'll make the case, as I did last week, that really the order was begun by lay people, so it would seem perfectly appropriate to me that it would rest back in the hands of lay people as well. But we're going to address those questions uh, somewhat this evening and as we go through the series of the next many weeks. Well, you asked about the emails, so I'd like to say that um, I thank you listeners for emailing us and letting us know that you enjoyed our introduction to the Carmelite Conversations. Um, Some of you found it to be enthusiastic. Some of you found it to be jam-packed. And um, some of you are requesting, you know, to hear it again. So I think the plan is um, that it will be archived eventually here on Radio Maria. And you can find that on your computers at www.radiomaria.us. Okay. So where do we go now? Well, let's get back on the the spiritual plan of action. 
Uh, Deacon Baldwin, let me begin with you, and let me begin with this statement. One of the things that I was told when I joined the Carmelite Order uh, and began exploring more deeply this relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's the significance, I think, uh, of how we, certainly in the Carmelite Order, I would argue in the, in the Catholic faith and even in the, the Christian faith at large, we don't talk about uh, uh, you know, sort of religious practices so much. We talk about an intimate, personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that was shared with me uh, when I began practicing in the order of Carmel was, if you're going to join Carmel, and you get a year, of course, to discern and think about that, but if you're going to join Carmel, you first have to answer this question for yourself. And I think this is true for any Christian. Do I want to be a saint? Mm -hmm. That's what we're called to, isn't it, Deacon? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that many of us have the desire to be a saint, but sometimes it's manifest in, I want to want to be a saint. You know, so uh, uh, we go down that path and then find out that, uh, that uh, hey, being a saint uh, has a lot more challenges associated with it than just wanting to be a saint. And so, no, I absolutely agree. And uh, I think if we focus on ourselves, you know, this is what I want, then without God's grace in there, we're never going to achieve it because we need to focus on who it is we want the relationship with. Okay, uh, I, I agree. I think that's so important. Uh, it is what really draws us into what sometimes can be challenging experiences, both in our personal life and our prayer life. Uh, and, and as we begin to deepen that relationship. You know, one of the emails that I got, Francis, was actually from somebody who said, I really do want to deepen my relationship. I want to go uh, sort of to the next level. Uh, and we know St. Uh, Teresa, our mother uh, of the Order, Teresa of Avila, talks about this intimacy with the Lord, very much like the ancient Spanish rituals of marriage and courtship and so forth. And it's not unlike that in her, her model of drawing that in, I think, is very helpful. This person shared, though, uh, that they viewed the uh, uh, additional uh, discipline and focus around their spiritual life, much like their physical uh, discipline and focus and working out. And I, I agree. I like that analogy as somebody who likes to spend some time working out. I, I think that's a very good analogy. Uh, there are challenges. You have to set a goal. You have to have uh, objectives that you measure along the way. One of the important things I would point out, however, is in the physical um, you wouldn't go to the gym on a given day and uh, lift the weights or, or swim or run on the treadmill or what have you. And then immediately after you've taken a shower, you walk outside to check yourself to see how much you've progressed. You'd wait a few weeks, wouldn't you? And isn't our prayer life a little bit like that, Francis? Yeah, I think a lot of people want to want to see the fruits of that. And uh, sometimes it's going to be the long haul. But, you know, in, the, in our faith life, uh, we all know we're building treasure in heaven. So it's all about love. It's all good. <laughs> well, back on our spiritual plan, I, I, I want to also emphasize this idea of focus and discipline and the other distinction I think I would draw uh, from the physical and the spiritual, the idea of working out to maintain the body uh, as opposed to the soul. Uh, first of all, we know we're only going to reside in these bodies for the best of us probably 80 or 90 years. Uh, and that's a stretch for some. I don't know that I'll make it that far, to be honest with you. I have uh, uh, my challenges. But uh, the, the difference, of course, in the spiritual realm is we're talking about an eternal soul, aren't we, mm -hmm. Deacon Baldwin? This oh, absolutely. For, for the long haul. Absolutely. And I, I think the, the, the critical thing with having a rule is that so often we think that, well, I need to do this all on my own. I need to figure out how to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But a rule captures the wisdom of the ages. It captures how those who went on before us achieved that union with God. And so it gives us a standard to measure our spiritual progress. Um, but one thing that, uh, and I think it's a good, uh, uh, good thing to bring up, is that... Uh, with a, in a relationship with another person, and I, I'm kind of leveraging off uh, what you said before, 
we don't, uh, you know, go out and have an evening with someone and then immediately go, well, how'd that go? I mean, were we okay? Uh, 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 am I getting better at relating with you? I mean, we do give it some time. Right. You know, it's a, it's a, it is a relationship, and when you start treating it like something that's quantifiable and measurable, it, it loses something, and I think you don't really understand uh, yet, you know, who it is you're dealing with. I mean, this right. is a love relationship. This isn't something you can quantify precisely. Yeah. Well, and I want to say for our listeners, uh, whether you are somebody who uh, has been deeply involved in a spiritual journey and a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ for many years, uh, perhaps you're a daily communicant, uh, you pray the rosary consistently, you're uh, actively seeking spiritual direction, um, there is always something deeper in this relationship and let me go to the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're somebody who's listening to this program who hasn't been to church for a while or hasn't been back to reconciliation to seek that healing that is so important uh, in our spiritual life uh, or doesn't have an active prayer life. I want to say that the charism of Carmelite spirituality, and I would argue any uh, of the major orders, their spiritualities, though they have their uniquenesses and their nuances, any of them uh, provide you a framework whether it's to begin the process, to take it to the next level, or to take a deeply intimate relationship with Jesus Christ even deeper. The, uh, what we refer to, who we refer to as the father of our order, St. John of the Cross, uh, is famous for saying no matter where you are on the spiritual journey, no matter how intimate you become with the one, with Jesus Christ, you can always take that to a deeper level. Isn't that true, Francis? Absolutely. And if we think that we've gotten to the top, well, <laughs> I'm here to tell you there's so much more. Well, once again, I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We encourage you, if you do have a question or comment, please don't hesitate to call 1-866-333-6279. Let me go back up and pick up on this idea of wanting to be a saint and the importance of uh, saying to ourselves, no, I want to deepen that relationship. I want to pursue sainthood. Really, in our life as human beings, there is no other end for us, is there? We can be the wealthiest person. We could be the greatest athlete. We could be a great political leader. But at the end of the day, we all have that ultimate goal. As Aristotle said, a man has that ultimate question, why am I here? And at the end of the day, the answer for why we're here, we know as Carmelites, as Christians, is union with God. Somebody said, and I'm going to throw out the second question, Francis, okay. our quiz question. <laughs> Listeners, um, get ready. <laughs> because I did a little research. I know this quote. I've known it for years, and I'm sure as I share it with your listeners, many of you will recognize it. But what I don't know is who said it, or at least not the first person to say it. So let me share it with you. There is only one tragedy in life, and that is not becoming a saint. Now, again, it's a, a phrase I think many of us are familiar with. I personally don't remember, and I couldn't. Uh, find out, as uh, uh, I did my research for this evening's program, who said it. Uh, but I did find out the author of this second quote, and it turns out to be Oscar Wilde, who's had something similar to say. Oscar Wilde said there are actually two tragedies in life. The first is not getting everything we want. The second is getting it. Well, that's <laughs> something to really ponder, isn't it? <laughs> Woo. Balance, balance and harmony, right? Well, there is a need to balance. So let's move on and talk again about the rule. Yeah, uh, let's get into the nitty-gritty. What was this rule, Mark? What did St. Albert give the Carmelites that is a good model for our listeners out there? Well, for those of you who may have been listening to us last week, or if you haven't, we'll pick up the story, the history, just briefly. Um, sometime during the Crusades, actually throughout the Crusades, we know uh, that a number of uh, individuals, both the soldiers of the Crusades and other uh, folks who were living in the Holy Land, became uh, uh, very disappointed with their life, uh, uh, were seeking something deeper in their relationship with God. And so they settled on the uh, slopes of Mount Carmel, took up residence in the, in the caves as hermits. Uh, and they dedicated themselves to the Blessed Mother. Uh, they sought to live prayerful lives, to, to withdraw a little bit from the world, the detachment that we read about in Carmelite spirituality. And I've said the history of the order itself wonderfully mirrors the spiritual life of an individual, this idea of detachment, of pulling away, of deepening our prayer life. But again, eventually, as we'll hear later in, in, in future programs, 
the need for the hermits to re-enter uh, society. In this case, they, they reintegrated back into Europe. But after a time, uh, these hermits realized uh, they were growing in number, uh, they were taking up a good deal of space, and they were coming together periodically in, in a more monastic fashion, uh, a cenobitical fashion, uh, to uh, worship. And so they wanted to have a rule, they wanted to have guidance, they wanted to have direction. So they turned to the Patriarch of Jerusalem, Albert of Jerusalem, and in about 1209, the dates are a little uh, iffy, but closely uh, associated in 1209, uh, Albert provided them a rule. And there are a couple of key principles in the rule, Francis, that we would like to highlight. Um, And I'm going to read, if I can, just the the second section. Actually, Albert introduces uh, himself in the first section. But I want to read the second uh, section of the rule. Many and varied are the ways in which our saintly forefathers laid down how everyone, whatever his station or the kind of religious observance he has chosen, and that's important for us to remember, whatever his station in life, should live a life in allegiance to Jesus Christ. How? Pure in heart and stout in conscience. He must be unswerving in the service of the Master. Francis, what do we want to say about this idea of purity of heart? What does that mean for us? We hear that phrase. uh, It's used over and over again. How do we draw that phrase out to make it meaningful for us in today's life? Well, I'd like to put it in this framework, right intention. If we have the right intention, we have thy will be done in the forefront of our minds rather than my will, me choosing what I want. We're thinking... Well, what is for the greater glory of God and the salvation of souls? And I think if we can do that and continue to think, Thy will be done, then we will gain that purity of heart, that purity of intention. And, of course, our Blessed Mother is the most perfect example um, to model this purity of heart. Well, in fact, um, if I can dip into philosophy a little bit, Kierkegaard said uh, in a book, a famous book that he wrote, Purity of heart is nothing other than singularity of will, a single will. And whose will is that? It's the Father's will. Our will and the Father's will must become one. And and let me say first, uh, before we get too deep into this, if you're sitting out there listening and you're saying to yourself, boy, you just took a left turn on me here. I'm not sure where we're going with this. I want to ask you, first of all, be patient. Encourage you to stay with the dialogue because there's nothing here that we haven't already been exposed to in our Christian teaching and our catechism. Even if you're new to the Christian faith, you will be familiar with these ideas. Purity of heart. We think of it in the natural sense. And again, I I, want to distinguish, as we did last week, the importance of drawing uh, correlation between the physical and the spiritual. And isn't this true for us, Deacon Baldwin? We always have to understand that the lessons of the gospel, the lessons of our forefathers, the lessons of the Desert Fathers, who we draw so much from, always understood the distinction between the physical and the spiritual. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and when the monks, you know, they had their cells that they uh, were to retire into, uh, and, and I think the analogy here is is that we need to withdraw, for, in a certain uh, sense, from the external distractions that we have, and allow us to concentrate on the internal, you know, and that's really where the challenge is on the in, what's going on inside of us, and that's actually the difference between the old uh, law and the new law, where we have the Ten Commandments versus the Beatitudes. Uh, personally, I think, uh, and experience bears this out, the Ten Commandments are, with God's grace, achievable. With God, it takes a superabundance of God's grace to achieve and our willingness to achieve uh, the Beatitudes because that is the model of Christ's law. Yeah, the Beatitudes. Christ said very simply, uh, as sort of a capstone comment for the Beatitudes, be ye perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That's all you have to do. Just be perfect. Well, we know, of course, that we can't do that on our own. It's not simply an act of our human will to be able to do that. It requires purity of heart singularity of will, which is nothing more than combining our will completely every day, every hour, every moment of every hour with that of the Father. That's the, that's the effort, though, isn't it, in our spiritual life? 
Okay, Mark, so let's get down to the nuts and bolts. What did St. Albert oh, I'm, I'm of on, Jerusalem... <laughs> what, what did he say? What, what was in the rule that he really liked, you know, as far as, you know, trying to give some kind of direction yeah. to these hermits? Well, let me capsule on the rule. I don't want to go through it all. It's, it's somewhat lengthy. It goes on for a few pages. But here are the real highlights of the rule. Develop the contemplative dimension of your life in an open dialogue with God. That, of course, is prayer. There's nothing, nothing other than prayer. Although he uses this word contemplative, and you cautioned me, Francis, about not wanting to scare off any of our listeners. Contemplative prayer, if I can designate the three levels of prayer that we talk about, uh, both in Carmelite as well as in a number of other spiritual disciplines. There's a vocal, which is the, the uh, simple vocal recitation of the prayers that we are all taught as children. A mental, where we engage the mind actively in the imagination and so forth. And then there's contemplative, which is both an intimate dialogue as well as listening. And this is a key to the contemplative uh, spirituality, is the idea of listening to the Lord. You know, Rusty, you said to me, Deacon Baldwin, you said to me this uh, past week, uh, when I asked you about how you take on so many challenges, you said quite quite bluntly, uh, I can't give what I don't have. And I don't have it unless I enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer to gain it. So that's the first uh, uh, of the critical, I think, elements of the rule. Let me move on. Live as brothers full of charity. No, no surprises there. Meditate day and night on the word of the Lord. Meditate day and night. How do we begin to meditate day and night. This seems challenging, and sometimes we wonder, wait a minute, where is that in the Bible? Well, we know the Lord tells, St. Paul rather tells us, pray without ceasing. Of course, the Lord tells us as as well, uh, pray constantly, but St. Paul counsels us, pray without ceasing. Deacon Baldwin, yeah. Yeah, I want to ask Deacon Baldwin, (laughs) you've got eight children, you've got a job, you're a Carmelite, and you're a deacon. (laughs) How do you meditate day and night on the word of the Lord? Well, I think when you... uh, Take the time to see that every action reflects, you know, the love that we have for our Lord, then every action can become a prayer, and we can meditate on how we are responding to other people in love. And so we have, when we pray explicitly, either in contemplative or uh, meditative or even vocal prayer, and then we have the prayer that our life is. And so when we when we live out every action that way, then I think we can approach praying day and night. Well, we're going to take a break at this point, and when we come back, we want to pick up on the other elements of the rule, but then we want to talk about this idea that Deacon Baldwin brings out about praying day and night. How do we really do that? How does that work uh, for us in the midst of our busy lives? So, listeners, please join us again in about four minutes. Thank you.
again, listeners, and I'm Mark Dennis, your host, joined this evening by Francis Harry and Deacon Baldwin. We want to pick up on the conversation regarding uh, the, the rule and the two key points that we brought out just before the break, Deacon Baldwin. We were talking about purity of heart, this idea of singularity of will, but I also want to focus on the other piece that, that Albert brought out in the in the rule, and that is this idea of conscience. Now, we're talking about individuals, both men and women, who've left the world for all intents and purposes to seek a deeper relationship with the Lord on Mount Carmel. Uh, we know they're in deep prayer, they're in consistent prayer, they're living uh, holy lives, and yet Albert counsels them to work on conscience. Uh, where, what's the logic here? Well, Mark, uh, just as in our own everyday life, we have lots of distractions, and those distractions serve... Uh, a, a purpose to distract us from what's really going on in our interior life. And so, yes, these uh, uh, monks had left the exterior world, and they were left with that interior that they needed to uh, consider. And so what's really, really hard is to deal with that interior. So there's uh, uh, when, when you're left alone with yourself, that's when you really find out who you are. That's when you really find out what's going on in your own life. And think about uh, why solitary confinement for prisoners is so very difficult. It's because they're left alone with themselves, and they've got no one but, but themselves to consider what's really going on. And so I think that's when your conscience really becomes heightened and you realize how much you need God's grace. Yeah, we're going to do a program in a few weeks on Brother Lawrence, Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection, who uh, ha- has a remarkable spiritual discipline called the presence of God, the practice of the presence of God. And it will go to the heart of this idea about unceasing prayer. Uh, but the interesting story about Brother Lawrence is that he initially, uh, without giving the history of his own experience in the military, ran away to be a hermit. Uh, and after spending a number of months alone in a cave and couldn't face his own interior ran back to Paris, where he eventually ended up in a Carmelite monastery. But uh, that, that, that's exactly the, the point, I think, that he went through. Uh, Francis. I'm showing a real-life example here. This, this desert that, that's within, um, you speak about the military and Brother Lawrence, and I'm thinking about the, when I joined the military and I was at basic training. Oh, my gosh, any of you people who have been out in the military, you know what basic training is like. And so when you finally get to lay down and go to sleep, and, of course, you have to be absolutely quiet, and lights are out, boy, don't you have a great conversation with God? And don't the demons within come to haunt you then? Excuse me. Yes. We have Teresa on the line. Hi, Teresa. How are you? Hi. Um, I was calling, you know, in your discussion with rules and was thinking a lot about how in, especially in the United States, how we glorify this whole concept of rugged individualism. You know, I'm going to do it my way. I mean, there's commercials that even say that. And um, as I'm listening to you talk and listening to Deacon Baldwin talk, realizing that it sounds to me like so much that is needed is this understanding of surrender, one having to surrender themselves to God and to rules um, that God has laid down. And I was wondering if you could comment on that. Yeah, I said. Uh... I think you've got it absolutely right. Uh, 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 we never hear Jesus singing, I did it my way. Uh, so uh, we're not to sing that either. Uh, he did it the Father's way, and we really need not only this rule and to submit our will to the rule, but we need community. It's not just me and Jesus. I mean, that's the relationship, but we're in relationship also with the community around us, and that is so very important to developing an active and deep prayer life. And isn't the first community, wasn't that the Trinity? You know, God the Father to the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, you know, what a great example. Well, I, I think another point Teresa is bringing out that the rule emphasizes and the need to uh, follow the guidance. Uh, and this is true for us even in the secular order, isn't it, Francis? I mean, you are the president of, of the local community. Uh, we have a council, and the council provides direction uh, and, and we are expected uh, to practice and to participate in that community and to humbly uh, take the guidance and direction we're given as we pursue uh, a, a deeper sense of holiness. Isn't that true? 
Absolutely. It's all about relationship, isn't it? And if we're out there by ourselves, we're not um, we're not living in that community and we're not being challenged by the people around us and the events in our, our lives. So um, I wanted to ask, Teresa, are you still on the line? Yep. Did you have any other comments or questions? or? Uh, no, basically, it just... I was thinking about, you know, how in the United States, or, you know, I guess in general, just how Christianity has split and split and split over the centuries. Um, they say now there's like over 25,000 different congregations or denominations. And, you know, this this concept of, you know, being able to follow a rule, I think, is something that's very difficult. Um, and yet, you know, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, you know, that the path would be uh, narrow and difficult. And uh, even Christ himself as a child, you know, he, he followed all the rules of the uh, Jewish tradition. And um, I think that his example has showed us that there is a path that one should follow. And, you know, one has to search. There are, as you seem to point out, you know, different orders and things with slightly variable rules, but in general, they all seem to all point to God and um, point to Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, that that sort of goes against this idea of following things on your own little path. Yeah, I think you're right. And again, I'll emphasize this word humility. I think participation in a community and, and the responsibility to follow a rule requires humility. It requires an acceptance of guidance and direction that you didn't establish for yourself. Uh, but, but again, I'll, I'll point out, all of the great saints lived by a rule. And, and not in all cases may it have been written down, uh, but if you were to uh, seek their guidance in their writings and so forth, it's clear that there were specific uh, practices and devotions that they uh, followed each day and, and held themselves to whether it was one that they created for themselves, as St. Francis did, or uh, one that was provided to them. I, I want to get back to this. Uh, uh, Teresa, thank you very much, by the way. I, I appreciate the call and the good uh, insight and observations uh, to help us move uh, deeper into this understanding of the, the importance and the significance of the rule. Uh, let me go back, if I can, Deacon Baldwin, and, and uh, emphasize this point. You know, the rule does not say, nor does Scripture say, where, where Albert of Jerusalem drew that. I pray once in a while. Uh, try to spend some time if you can, or do the best you can. It says very explicitly, pray without ceasing, and in Albert's case, pray night and day, contemplating the law of the Lord uh, night and day. How do we begin to do that? Now, I know you said uh, it, it's actively engaging in that thoughtful consideration throughout our works. But what role does patience, preparation, recollection play in that practice? Well, I think all those elements are, are critical to praying without ceasing. Um, we need to be patient with ourselves because we're not where we want to be ultimately uh, in our walk with the Lord. And we need to take the time to recollect ourselves to understand, you know, to gather ourselves together so that we can have that quality time with the Lord. Hold it, hold it. Okay, for our listeners, um, explain, recollect. How do you recollect yourself? Well, it's it's basically uh, taking some time to withdraw into yourself. Sort of like a turtle going in his shell? In one sense. I think Teresa Valla said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I, <laughs> then I agree. <laughs> so that recollection is important because if we just come to our prayer time uh, that we're going to have with the Lord and just open a book or just say, well, here I am, Lord, there's so many things that are going on in our mind because we bring that with us, and it's important to have some time to set those aside mentally, and just prepare for that time. You mean we don't go just rambling, you know, one vocal prayer after another and just keep on talking at God? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, it's a conversation. So we speak and we listen. Okay. Uh, and typically the wiser one speaks more, and so that means that we should be listening more. You know, Francis and I talked last week uh, briefly, and we'll talk, I suspect, each week, Francis, about this on some level, uh, simplicity, solitude, silence. The three 
critical elements of any desert spirituality, the three S's if you prefer, it's an easy way to remember them. But let's talk a little bit about this idea of simplicity. Uh, and, and then I want to get into remote and proximate preparation for prayer so it makes our recollection effective. Francis? Oh, I, I just have to jump in and tell you this little story about silence, though, real quick, if you bear with me. Um, this is an old English saying. I ran across it not long ago. A wise old owl sat in an oak. The more he heard, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we all be like that bird? <laughs> Boy, that really started striking the home, um, striking it home to me about the silence and the wisdom of this silence. Yeah, we uh, maybe that's a prayer that our uh, listeners can put up in whatever room in their house they pray in, just as a reminder at the beginning of prayer to enter into that silence. And of course, it talks about uh, the idea of silence talks about quieting those voices in our own head, doesn't it? Let me put one voice in our listener's head just quickly, and that is to say once again that you are listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. If you'd like to join and be part of the conversation, please give us a call at 1-866-333-6279. And I'm still waiting to find out if any of our listeners know what the oldest rule is. We're still waiting. We're going to give them till towards the end of the program before we reveal that. Okay. Deacon Baldwin, let me go back to this idea of preparing for prayer, because Francis makes the point so well. We don't want to just run into, uh, you know, uh, church or, or our room at home that we might use as set aside for prayer uh, and immediately jump into what we think is going to be a deep contemplative uh, uh, exchange with our Lord. There's some preparation required, isn't there, in order to make it effective? Yeah, there is, and uh, there's a, an immediate preparation, which we were talking about with recollection, but, you know, in a, in a very real sense, our whole lives, the way we conduct our lives, is a preparation for how we pray. And so the simplicity that you were talking about, when we live absolutely simple lives, then everything is directed at doing God's will. Our joys, our hopes, our sorrows, and our fears are all directed God's will. So our only joy is in knowing that we are doing and that we are in God's will. Our only hope is that we continue in that will. Our sorrow, when we're living a simple life, is when we don't live up to what God has asked us. And our only fear is that we might disappoint our Lord. That is really the simplicity. Part of that is distractions in our lives and so on, but part of it the most important part of it is actually that main focus. Yeah, St. John, I think, unfortunately, so many misread St. John when they, St. John of the Cross, uh, when they hear him writing about or hear him speaking about uh, negative, nada, uh, the elimination of so much of our life, right? The, the, the distractions he's talking about in our modern era, since we're trying to apply our Christian uh, Carmelite spirituality to the modern uh, busy life. Uh, it would include the elimination of so many hours of television watching, so many, uh, uh, you know, songs coming across our iPod, so many... Football uh, games. Yeah, well, no, I don't think you've had football games. He <laughs> 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 may have. I'm just putting a contemporary spin on it, Mark, that's yeah. all. <laughs> Something the uh, listeners can relate to now. <laughs> yeah, he didn't mean football games or the Tour de France. Both those, I think, were excluded. But uh, <laughs> but but it's true, There there is... So much distraction in our modern society, isn't there? We live, as uh, Ralph Martin said one time, we live in the distraction age. Everything is designed to distract our minds. And as John would say, John of the Cross would say, distract our hearts. It's to draw our hearts away from the Lord. And these aren't in and of themselves bad things, but Deacon, they, they, they draw us away from a deeper prayer life, don't they? Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, not only is there everything designed to distract us, but sometimes we're at fault because we take advantage of those distractions. It's, you know, well, I, I would like to pray, but uh, I've got to go do this, or I really need to do that. And you really need to ask yourself, do I? Or is the best use of my time actually spending time with the Lord? And I think when we really consider it, um, there's not much that's more immediately necessary than getting our relationship with the Lord correct. And I have to add this. 
you know, when we do go to prayer and we are distracted and a hundred and one thoughts come to our mind, just think of it as a parent. You know, sometimes when, when you're away from your loved one or your child's been away to camp, you're just so anxious for them to come home or military, man, your your spouse has been uh, in Iraq and they're, you're just wanting them to come home. So when they arrive, are you anxious about what you're going to do? No, you're just wanting to be there, to be in their presence. And, you know, I think the Father looks at us just like that. We come for that 10 minutes or 15 minutes, hopefully longer. Um, and he's just so glad to be with us that we're giving him time. So, you know, sometimes I think it's not so big a deal about what the content is, you know, right off the bat. He's just so pleased that we're spending time with him, and it's an opportunity for us to receive his love and be loved by him. I think that's big. Absolutely. Well, you know, it reminds me of a, of a human story uh, that uh, is attributed to St. Bernard. It, it turns out St. Bernard was going through a small village one day, and he was uh, bringing his mule along with him, and a uh, young man approaches him and says, uh, uh, Father, I've, I've heard that you're a great teacher of prayer. Can you teach me uh, how to deepen my prayer life? I think I'm doing everything right. I'm praying very deeply. And St. Bernard says to him, well, uh, perhaps the first thing is to simplify so uh, all I would ask you to do is pray very uh, slowly, one simple Our Father, but pray it very deeply, very uh, focused and contemplative, and the, the gentleman says, but I do this, Father, this is exactly what I do, much like the man in the Gospel this morning in today's readings, a deacon, mm-hmm. who says to the Lord, but I do all these things, uh, why don't I inherit eternal life? And so uh, St. Bernard uh, counsels the young man, uh, now I, I want you to close your eyes and, and just enter into yourself and pray very deeply. He says, and the young man complains, he's not getting anything out of his prayer. He's not getting any reward. He's not getting any fruit. And so St. Bernard says, well, you're going to get fruit today. He says, if you can pray this one simple Our Father very deeply, very slowly, very contemplatively, I'll give you this mule. Uh, so the gentleman nods. He steps back. He closes his eyes, drops his head. His hands come together. And he begins very slowly, Our Father, who art in heaven. Very slowly, very patient. All of a sudden, his eyes pop open. And he looked at St. Bernard and he said, did that include the saddle? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great example. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on for a moment. Uh, I, I do want to get back to this idea of the specifics of the rule, and we're going to close, or before we close, we want to make sure to give our listeners some very explicit uh, steps and examples of what we mean by following these principles of purity of heart, singularity of will, working on our conscience, praying day and night. These are the three we're trying to draw out the most. What's the significance, though, if you can, Deacon? Help us understand, where do the, the Psalms and the daily uh, recitation for us in Carmel, reflecting on the law of the Lord, include certainly the Psalms, where do the Psalms fit into that? And tell us a little bit about the benefit of the Psalms. Well, the, the Psalms, as we all know, are uh, attributed to King David, and he went through a, quite a bit in his life. Uh, and it helps us focus because uh, what is going on in our lives. So these are prayers to the Lord, earnest prayers that are written from the heart. And so when I find when I'm praying the office, if I make those my own, if I make the prayer that King David wrote mine, it, it really helps me focus and realize that I am not alone in the things that I am going through. I'm not alone in what I'm experiencing the despair, the joy, the sorrow, all the aspects of life. They help us focus. And when you said the office, I want to interject to our listeners. That is the liturgy, the hours, or the breviary. It's the official prayer of the church outside of the Mass. And and I think all of our priests and deacons are required to pray the you, office. Yes, uh, the priests are required to pray the office. Deacons are repro- uh, required to pray at least the morning and the evening prayer. Uh, and uh, all if possible, but we get a little bit more of a break than uh, than our wonderful priest do. And what a great way to frame your day. So this is another great rule for life, to start your morning and end your day with prayer. And I understand the morning prayers are a morning of, of praise, prayers of praise, and the evening prayer is the Thanksgiving. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh, they, they really help uh, uh, start off the day correctly because... God does not guarantee us another day, and so it's natural that when we wake up and start our morning prayer that it would be in praise. 
and uh, remembering how the day went in evening prayer and thanking him for taking us through that day. Well, you know, you said something so important. These prayers, the Psalms, uh, those that are attributed specifically to David, and we know some may not be, but uh, they started in David's heart. They didn't start in his mind. He wasn't trying to be artistic necessarily. Uh, Like so much deep prayer, they really started in his heart and then grew out of that into the expression in a poetic form. Uh, but, but our call really is to try to re-enter into those psalms. The poetic uh, expression gives us uh, multiple avenues, if you will, to enter, but really we're trying to get into the heart of what David uh, was getting at. Before we run out of time, I do want to make sure that we cover some of the specifics of the rule and the daily practices that are recommended uh, not just in the rule, but if you involve yourself in Carmel or some of the other uh, third order or secular order uh, organizations, communities, uh, you'll be expo- exposed to a list very similar to this. And so let me just cover some things, some of which we've already talked about. Weekday Mass, try to get, if you're, if you're attending Sunday Mass, great, try to get one more in a week. If you're going each day, try to go a little earlier. Daily scripture reading, or perhaps the divine office that we've talked about. Monthly confession. Um, we won't spend a lot of time on this today, but we will in the future talking about the, the significance of reconciliation. You must develop a devotion to the Blessed Mother. I, I, uh, we're going to do next week's entire program on the Blessed Mother, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, uh, but I say it with force because it's so important, I think, if you want to grow in your spiritual life. Fasting, and of course, uh, fasting doesn't include just food. There are other ways of fasting. We'll talk a little bit about that, I think, in future programs. And finding a communi- community that you can be part of. Well, I want to thank you, uh, listeners, for joining us again this week. I hope you learned something. I hope you got something that you can take with you. Uh, that's really the objective of our program. Uh, I want to thank Deacon Baldwin for joining us this evening. Deacon, thank you. You're very welcome. And Francis, again, uh, for co-hosting with me. Always great to have your uh, laughter and your uh, smile, though the audience doesn't get to share it. I certainly do, and we appreciate your joining us. Thank you. And for all of our listeners, you have been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We thank you for joining us. We encourage you to join us again next week when we'll be talking and dedicating the entire program to the Blessed Mother. Thank you, and good evening.